Well, our mission here in this church is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Thirty years ago, God brought into my life a sold-out young dude who led me into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. I was 18 years old. I'd grown up in church. I just needed to meet someone. I needed to see someone who was the real deal, who really lived it. And uh, Dave Early was that guy that God brought into my life. And since that time, over these past 30 years, he's been to me a discipler, a spiritual dad, really, um, a teammate, a team leader, uh, my pastor, friend, coach, mentor, and dozens of other things. And uh, he is here this weekend to bring us just a great message, a powerful message and um, Dave is the one, you know, if you've been here for a while, then Dave needs no introduction to you. But those of you who've come and joined us in the last four years or so, Dave is the founding senior pastor of this church. He's the one into whom God deposited the vision to move to Columbus, Ohio, and by God's power start a church that would become a healthy and growing and multiplying church that would give birth to other churches. All that was put in Dave's heart. And uh, I just thank God for his obedience to Christ over the years. So, Humanly speaking, apart from Dave Early, there is no New Life Church, no New Life Network of churches. Many of us might not have found Christ. I don't even know if I'd be in the ministry apart from him. So all of us, whether we know it or not, owe him a great, great deal of honor. And so he's coming to bring a strong word to you today. I hope you're ready for that. But let's welcome Dave back to New Life Church, okay? Well, Steve, that's uh, quite an introduction. You say spiritual father, I'm thinking, I'm like two years older than you. Um, Thank you for clapping. Why don't you give Steve a hand? I mean, he does a great job here. um, I've been living in Virginia the last four years. So how y'all doing? Fine. Good. Thanks for asking. Good to see you. Uh, I'm a professor at Liberty University, among other things. Um, I brought Kathy with me this weekend. Kathy. Uh, <laughs> Kathy and I just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. So um, she was six when we got married, and she's been doing that Benjamin Button thing. Uh, so in about 30 years, we're really going to look funny uh, together. But also, I've got a picture I'd like to show you of uh, our sons. The guy on the left is Daniel. Daniel is 22. He's going to be a senior at Liberty University, and uh, he's starting to be a pastor. Uh, last weekend, I was really blessed. He's been working in a church this summer as a uh, youth pastor and starting a young adult worship service. And a lot of time, I speak at about 40 churches every year on weekends, and um, people are always nice, and they come up and say, you know, how wonderful I am. But uh, last weekend, they all came up to me and told me how wonderful he is, because God has used him in so many of their lives, and people he's led to Christ, and that was just a great blessing, um, and that Daniel was just doing great. The guy in the middle is Andrew. Andrew is 21. 
He's also going to be a senior at Liberty University. He's also studying to be a pastor, and uh, he's doing great. This summer, he is spending his weekends running evangelistic block parties all over the western part of Virginia and all these little churches and towns and having a great time doing that. And the guy on the right, the little guy, who's about four inches taller than me and reminds me of it regularly, is Luke. Luke is 18. He uh, is starting his junior year at Liberty University, praying about what God has for him in the future. So a lot of people send their kids to college. We went to college with our kids. Um, You ought to see my grocery bill. That's all. But it's been great, and we get to see them regularly, and, and God has really blessed us. Well, yesterday morning, in fact, it hit me when I woke up and I was thinking, well, you know, what day is this and where am I? And I realized that a year ago, yesterday, I was in Turkey. Having, uh, in Turkey in the evenings, there's not air conditioning, so everybody's out in the streets at night and there's all these marvelous cafes. And I was sitting there uh, sipping coffee with a veteran missionary. And he was sharing with me, he was kind of unloading his heart. His wa- he, him and his wife and kids had been kicked out of the country a few months prior to that, and they'd just been allowed back in. Now, he'd been kicked out before, but this was the first time his wife and kids have gone through that, and it really shook him up the way they were treated. On top of that, two of his friends, who were also missionaries, had been martyred by Muslims, about six months prior. And he was sharing with me how he was struggling with with an issue. Now, he knew the answer to this question, but it was dogging his thoughts, and that is this. Is it really worth it? Today, I want you to ask yourself that question. Is it worth it? Who is worth it? How's it going to affect my life? I'd like to invite you to to begin today in the book of Job, if you would, the book of Job. Job is possibly the oldest book in the Bible. And it raises the big question. Now, I think every thinking person wrestles with several questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there a God? Who is God? God? What difference does it make? Where do I find meaning? Where do I find fulfillment in life? I think all of us wrestle with those questions. But there's a deeper, more fundamental question, a more significant question that that Job is faced with struggling with at this time. Now, Up until this point, Job's life has been a fairy tale. He's become the richest man possibly in the whole world. He's an incredible businessman, incredibly gifted. On top of that, God has blessed him with ten children. Beyond that, he's a good man and a godly man and a faithful man. But one day that all changes. Satan goes to God about Job. And God says to Satan, 
See my servant Job, how faithful he is, how loyal he is. What a great guy. Satan says, you know what? If you took away all of his blessings, he would not serve you. Because you are not worth serving without the blessings. God says, let's see. So what happens in that day is this horrible, horrific series of scenes that are heartbreaking to Job. A servant shows up and says, all of your cattle were killed. All your servants who tended them, I'm the only one left. Soon as he's done talking, another one shows up and says, all of your oxen killed. All of the servants who tended them, I'm the only one left. All of your sheep, the next man says, all of your sheep were killed. All of your camels. By the middle of the day, he's lost everything. His, 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 his business, his finances, his future, his retirement. It's all gone. All of his employees, his, his whole business life is gone. And then another servant shows up. It says, all of your children, all ten, have been killed. Job is faced with an issue that you and I will be faced with in our lives, and that is this. Is God really worth it without the blessings? Job answers loud and clear, chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and what? Worship. The word worship in English comes from the word worth. The essence of the word is this, worth it. What Job is saying loud and clear with his actions and his deeds is that yes, even without the blessings, God is worth it. I wonder if you've come to that point in your life. At some point, you will have to address that question. Go to the other, go to the beginning of your Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis in chapter 22. There's another man who faces this issue. His name is Abram. Father, and then God changed his name to Abraham, Abraham, the father of many. And even though he's 99 years old and his wife is 90, God says, I'm going to give you a son, and he will become a blessing, and through him, he will become a mighty nation, and this nation will be a blessing to the entire earth, the Israeli nation. Jesus Christ. The boy's name is Isaac. Laughter, joy. His aging parents who always wanted kids now have a baby, and this baby is more than just a son. He is their whole destiny, their whole life, the whole future. All of everything God's ever done for Abraham is in this boy. And then God brings him to the issue. Genesis 22, look at verse 2. Then God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Sacrifice your son for me. Abraham had to wrestle with the issue, is God worth more than my son, my future, my destiny? This is the hardest thing God could have asked him. Abraham would have gladly died himself as opposed to sacrificing his son. I don't know what happened during that night, but I know what happened the next day. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He obeyed. Verse 4, Then on the third day, hiking up Mount Moriah to get to the right place, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and... What's the word? Worship. Now, you know the rest of the story. He didn't end up having to kill his son. But God brought him to the point where he had to make the choice anyway. I have uh, come to the conclusion that most people live lives for things that are not worth it. We pour out our, our time, our attention, our devotion, our affection, our, 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 our hopes and dreams into hobbies or careers businesses or relationships or even ministries. There's a deeper, more fundamental question. And that is, who is going to be worth you giving your life to? What is going to be worth that? Who is worthy? And how will that affect my life? Let's go to the other end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation. We come to another man, a third man. His name is John. John's one of my favorite disciples. He's the, the, the zealous young guy. He and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder. Harley Camels, they must have rode around. I don't know. Faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He's the one guy that didn't abandon Jesus. He's the one guy that didn't betray him. He's the guy who lived life saying, I'm the guy Jesus loves. That's who I am. He's seen all his, his buddies martyred for Christ. He's been in prison. He's been beaten. And now he's 90-some years old, and he's not worth killing. So they just take him and stick him on an a, a, a ugly little island in the middle of uh, the water out off the coast of Turkey. He has a church of a handful of people. He gets up on Sunday morning, and as is his custom, he begins to worship God. And everything changes. An angel appears before him, 
takes him by the hand and leads John out of the then and there into a view of eternity, and he gets to see an event that is far off into the future, thousands of years from when he wrote those words. He's taken up and he gets to see heaven. And he's taken to the point where he sees the throne of God, this huge, humongous, white throne. It's gigantic. Light is surrounding this throne. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And then the light is radiating off all of these colors. Every color in the rainbow, every color you have ever seen, amplified, magnified, on steroids, HD, color, just, whoa! It's blowing his mind, and then he, he, his attention is to the sound around him. Thunder, rumbling, he sees lightning. He hears something else. Voices. He hears voices. He sees a, a giant angel flying in the presence of God, burning in holiness in the presence of God. And then another and another, four of them stationed around the throne of God and together in unity, in harmony, in symphony, in antiphony, they are crying out, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They've been doing this throughout eternity, and they will do this throughout eternity because He is holy. John is awestruck. After a while, he notices there's others around the throne. Humans. People. People he recognizes. The 24 elders. White-robed. Golden-crowned. The leaders of the God-followers through the ages. As Job, I'm sorry, as John takes in this scene... He's blown away. His eyes finally lift up to the one who sits on the throne. Father God. He can't describe him. No one in the Bible ever describes God. They just use words like light and life and love. I can imagine that, that all of these things, truth and, and justice and mercy and glory and honor... He's seeing all of that as God sits on the throne ruling this universe. And then John notices, Revelation 5 and verse 1 is where I am. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Here's that question. Who is worthy, the angel proclaimed. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? 
I imagine that John, there in the crowd, looks at the faces of the spiritual leaders. He sees Abraham. He looks at Abraham, and I imagine Abraham's going, no, 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 not worthy. He sees Moses, the deliverer of the Jewish nation. Moses, the giver of the law, unworthy. He sees David, the man after God's own heart, the worshiping warrior king David, unworthy. Daniel, the statesman, the prophet. Daniel, unworthy. Elijah, the guy who called down the fire of God. Unworthy. He sees Mary, the mother, the virgin mother of Jesus Christ. Not worthy. Sees his friend Peter. The one who gave the sermon, 3,000 saved on the birth of the church. Not worthy. Sees Paul, genius, church planter. Guy who wrote most of our New Testament. Not worthy. John is broken to realize there's nobody on earth worthy. No human is worth it. He's standing next to this angel, this this huge angel. He looks up at him. I mean, John's been mesmerized by this being ever since the the, the angel showed up. He's huge. He's glorious. He's a warrior. He's beautiful. He's handsome. He's strong. John looks up at this angel, and the angel's, oh, no. Not worthy. John's thinking, who is worth it? Then he hears something. The sound grows. He looks and he sees this dark cloud coming, approaching the throne. He notices and it's made up of of bats or vultures or uh, dragons or all of that or none of that. And he realizes it's, it's the dark angels. It's demons. And they approach the throne in a cloud. And I can imagine carpet rolling down in a huge, dark, evil, massive, leather-lunged demon announcing, presenting the grand God of this world. The prince of darkness, the star of the morning, the one, the only, live and in person, King Lucifer, coming down out of this cloud of darkness, prince of darkness himself, strides arrogantly up to the throne, He's huge, he's ugly, he's beautiful. His robe is like the back of a snake, reflecting all the colors of the rainbow. Reaches up his hand to take the scroll. 
The one on the throne, Father God, grabs the scroll and hands it to Satan, who is vastly underestimated. The weight, the significance of this scroll. He has vastly overestimated his worth. And as it touches his talons, he drops under the weight of it, and he can't hold it, and it crushes him. God, the one on the throne, takes the scroll, lifts it up, the angel next to John, as I imagine it, would peer into his face of Satan and go, not worth it. This, at this point, John is just gone. He's overwhelmed. His emotions are everywhere. He's seen things no human's ever seen or even imagined. Who is worthy? Nobody on earth, nobody above earth, nobody under the earth. It says in verse 3, And no one in heaven and no one on earth and no one under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, so I wept much because no one was found worth it. No one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and look at it. But then... The darkness departs and light shines. One of the elders leans down next to John and says, Don't weep. Brother, don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. John goes, the lion of the tribe of Judah, yes. He turns his head and he's looking, he's looking to see this this massive, this, this lion king, this great warrior, this powerful, terrible, glorious, truly awe inspiring lion king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the victor. But that's not what he sees. As he looks in the midst of this throne, in the midst of the perpetual worship, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It says in verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Wow. He sees white, pure, innocent, blood-covered, beaten, bruised, scarred, crown of thorns hanging on the head, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ. A lamb as though it had been slain. I imagine that in that moment, John was taken back to that awful, dusty hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. He's remembering in that moment, he's seeing the image of of Jesus trying to drag the cross and falling under the weight of it because he'd been beaten so severely. His blood stained body and, and, and everything ripped off the back of him from the beating. Seeing Jesus laying in the dust and the soldiers laugh as they take a hammer and they take a, a spike and they drive it into his wrist. Seeing Jesus cringe as they, they take a spike and they drive it into his feet. Seeing him hang there and then be thrown up on the wood. The cursed. Awful, shameful, offensive, vulgar, repulsive cross. And there suffer and bleed and die for John's sins. And my sins. And your sins. As the lamb reaches out, he takes the scroll and instead of falling under the weight of this awful prophecy that is to come, he lifts it up high and lifts it up. In that moment, it's as if, as John realizes, There's every person of every tongue and every tribe and every nation throughout all eternity gathered around the throne. And at that moment, as the Lamb takes the scroll, it's as if, starting in the front, they are being cut down at the knees with a knife and row after row after row after row from the angels to the elders to the first followers to the last followers, people from all time, of all nations, of every tongue, are dropping to their knees. Scripture says that when He, the Lamb, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What did they say? You are worth it. I imagine that song started slowly. As people wept and sobbed. I imagine some weren't on their knees, they were on their faces. Thinking of the mercy of God, all their sin, all their guilt, all their shame, all their pain, all their hurt. The mercy of God coming from the Lamb of God, washing them, healing them, cleansing them. 
chorus builds, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to take the scroll and open its seals, as it says in verse 9. You are worthy. Because you were slain, you have redeemed us, bought us out of the slave market of sin and given us as a gift to the Father. You've redeemed us to God by your blood. And out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we get to reign on the earth. And eventually they come up off their knees and they're standing, singing, every, every language. But yet, it's harmony, it's symphony, it's beauty. The sweetest song ever sung. You are worthy, they sing. Worthy is the Lamb, they sing. Worthy is the Lamb. You were slain. Worthy is the Lamb. You redeemed us. Worthy is the Lamb. You redeemed us by your blood. Worthy is the Lamb. Now, eventually, I know when I'm there on that day, I imagine that at this point, I'll be in the back shouting, Yes! Worthy is the Lamb! To receive blessing and honor and glory and power and wisdom. Worthy is the Lamb. In your life, you've got to make choices. What are you going to live for? What are you going to invest your time in? What are you going to invest your life in? What's going to matter to you? What's really worth it? Who is worth reading his words? and trying to follow them every day? Who is worth getting up on a Sunday morning after a hard week and walking into a building and singing songs to? Who is worth serving? Who is worth giving your money to? Who is worth, wor worth living a pure life for? Who is worth living a life of integrity for? Who is worth not giving up for? Who is worth being made fun of? Who is worth going to jail for? Who is worth being martyred for? Let me ask you a question. Who really is worth living for? I can tell you. The Bible already gives us the answer. It shows us what will happen in the future when every precinct will vote and the vote will come in unanimous. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Would you bow your heads? Now, I know that as I look at these scriptures... And imagine, try to imagine what John was seeing. Try to imagine what that would be like. And as I look at my life, and I'm amazed by his mercy, his grace, his kindness to me. 
I'm going to just get on my knees and say, you're worth it. You are worthy. When I look through my life and I think of the hard times, the bad times, the ugly times, In a few minutes, we're going to sing that song. But let's take the next minute or two and let, it, let this be a moment for you with God where you recalculate, you reprioritize, you reshuffle, you refocus, you renew, you rekindle, you recommit to the Lamb who was slain. Maybe you'd like to just come up around this platform and just drop on your knees as we begin to sing. I invite you to think about how you would respond, how you will respond, that day. Father, I thank you. You are indescribable. Lord, no word we can possibly throw up there comes close. And God, we're humbled today to be in your presence and look at your word and be reminded that you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. God, I pray in these next few minutes, Holy God, as we worship, as we respond to you, as we fall on our faces, as we jump to our feet, you will be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin to sing. If you'd like to kneel where you're at or come here and kneel, when you're ready to stand, stand. Let's respond to the one who is worthy.